All right. So you can come on up, Carolyn. Carolyn Boatsman is going to come and take us through this last part of Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Uh, I want to publicly thank Carolyn for her patience. She came to me, I, sometime, I don't even know, sometime before Christmas and said, hey, I uh, taught this uh, on worry, on Jesus' words about worry and, and InterVarsity. Carolyn leads uh, InterVarsity ministry on the A&M campus, and I'd love to do it at church sometime if you'd be up for that. And I said, I would definitely be up for that, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount, so we're going to get to that real soon. Um, and real soon was July, so here we are, and she has been gracious to, to hang in there until we got to this point, and I'm really thankful for Carolyn's gifting and for her words and look forward to what she has for us tonight. All right. So today we're going to talk about worry. Unfortunately, this is probably a topic we're all familiar with in some way, although it can look different person to person. Um, For me, the most obvious worry is a mild social anxiety that I have. And so um, I have to work up a lot of courage and energy to go to big gatherings and parties. Um, I I worry about what people will think of what I say, what I'm wearing, how I behave, just everything really. Um, (laughs) And um, beyond liking to stay at home because of that, um, I've been realizing, uh, especially over the last year as I've studied worry, that worry is pervasive in my life. Um, I imagine it is for you too. So real quick, um, raise your hand if you've felt really stressed about anything in the last week. Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) So my question is, um, how often do we end up talking about our worries um, with one another, about work, family, whatever it might be? Um, Worry is pervasive in our culture. Uh, It looks like anxiety disorders may actually have overtaken depression as the leading uh, mental illness in the U.S. And for the last 80 years, young Americans, the folks I work with, um, have increasingly reported feeling depressed and anxious. Too many of my alumni, friends, family are having full-on panic attacks. Worry is real in our culture. So let's look at what Jesus said about worry in the Sermon on the Mount. Before this part of the passage, Jesus just finished talking about our pursuits in life, that our hearts will value what we spend our money on. Our eyes need to focus more and more on goodness if we want to value the truly good things in life. And our service can't be split between God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Hmm? I may have missed that up. Um... (laughs) Uh, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Um, Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus commands his listeners to not be anxious. This is different from fear. With fear, we respond to an immediate danger, like, oh no, a bug. (laughs) Um, That's healthy. That's how we were made. Anxiety is what comes after the fear. We can be healthy in our anxiety. We assess the situation, anticipate an ongoing or future threat, handle it as best we can, and move on. Like squishing the bug and deciding if you need to get bug spray. That's healthy, anxious response. But we can also be unhealthy in our anxiety, worrying that a bug is around every corner. Um, we, we live in that anxious anticipation of a threat, which becomes a habit of worry that we choose to indulge in. The verb tense that Jesus uses um, in the Sermon on the Mount means he's telling his listeners to stop doing something they're currently doing. He reiterates it three times. It's clearly important. But each time he gives a different reason to stop being anxious. First, God cares for you. God's already demonstrated his care for you by creating you, giving you a body and breathing life into you. He values his creation, even the birds and flowers, so he'll care for you. And God's the one who provides the food and clothing. It's like he owns everything. If we trust God cares for us, we don't need to worry. Worrying won't make God care for you more. He doesn't reward worry with more food or clothing. That'd be pretty cool if he did. Jesus calls out their lack of faith. It's at the heart of their worry. They lack confidence that God cares for his creation. We stop trusting God when we forget who he is. God created the world and sustains everything in it. He's powerful. The Father sent Jesus to die for us, to make our relationship with him right again. Jesus gives us his very spirit and surrounds us with his body, the church. God gives us strength and hope through our troubles. He hurts with us and comforts us. But we live with narratives, stories in our minds and hearts that say otherwise. These are things, um, beliefs, usually often deep down, that we landed on because it helped us get through something hard or it's something we grew up with. I can tell you that God cares about me and that he's in charge, but my life often demonstrates that I believe I need to take care of myself and God doesn't want to be that involved. More and more, I try to remember that I have a father in heaven who cares for me more than I can imagine. I try to make that more of my story by reading passages like this, by confronting the false narratives and uncovering with God where I got it, and by recalling moments where God has clearly been there for me. 
So what narratives do you have about God that keep you from trusting in him? I want us to actually share with a partner, and if you're up for it, maybe try to find someone you didn't drive here with to share with. So let's answer that question with one another for just a couple of minutes. What narratives do you have about God that keep you from trusting him? You have to go find partners now. That's the <laughs> Thanks for sharing, guys. I'm going to bring us back together. That may not have been long enough for everybody to share. Sorry. But yeah, um, I did want to say, I think it's hard to square this passage with the fact that not just animals, but, um, but people often die from lack of food. Um, but I don't think Jesus is making sweeping promises about never facing trouble in this passage. I think what he's doing is confronting the lie that God keeps his distance and watches us struggle from far off. So worrying is pointless. It doesn't add to your life, and it often takes away from it, um, definitely in quality and probably in length. And you stay stuck in this cycle that keeps you from knowing and trusting God that diminishes your faith in him instead of growing it. So let's talk about the second reason Jesus gives. Jesus tells his listeners that God knows what we need even more than we do. The people listening to Jesus actually had reasons to be very afraid of not having enough food or clothing. They were peasants. Many had previously been subsistence farmers um, who had been so overtaxed by the Roman government they were forced to sell their family lands and become day laborers who could easily go unemployed from day to day. Some became beggars. That's actually why they're, probably why they're big crowds to listen to Jesus during the middle of the day. They didn't always know where their next meal would come from. Most of us, I know not all of us, but, but most of us haven't had to face poverty that intense. But we still worry a ton. In our culture, it's considered normal to start worrying at least by high school, about getting good grades so you can get into a good college, so then you can get a good job. And then you start worrying about how to keep your job and get ahead. Um, in fact, worry is a badge of honor. The more you worry, the more likely you're doing something hard and worth respect. We have a plethora of choices on everything from what cereal to buy to where to live, but we can't sift through all the info available to us to know if we're making the right choices. Speaking of choices, after the election, there was a huge spike in anxiety in the US. Watch the news and you'll see there's even more to be worried about. Uh, terrorism, climate change, antibiotic resistant bacteria, just keeps going on. Keep the TV on, you'll see ads that tell you that without this product, your life is incomplete or you'll fall behind everyone else. And if you have kids and aren't worrying about them, According to this world, you're a neglectful, irresponsible, unloving parent. That's what our culture tells us. Before we get any further, I do want to take a second to talk about anxiety disorders, things like social anxiety, OCD, PTSD, panic disorders. There's no shame in an anxiety disorder. Those are medical conditions. When you're sick, it's good to get help, to rely on others. It's good to make changes in your life that help you get healthy. 
Hopefully, somewhat of, some of what I'm going to be saying may help, um, but I am not a professional counselor, <laughs> um, and this is not a substitute for counseling and medication. For those without anxiety disorders, plenty of things in life may warrant a fear response and even a healthy anxiety response that leads to productive action. But sitting in our worries? Nope. Since we are some of the most well-off Christians in history, it's clear worry isn't about how comfortable or secure we are in reality. The problem is that our worries have us focused on less important things. All the stuff we run after pales in comparison to living under God's rule in a right relationship with him. And this ties back to the passage right before this, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. God knows we need to be single-minded about living in his kingdom. We can't live with our focus split. The word anxious that Jesus uses comes from a word meaning divided or split or pulled apart. The cares of this world distract you from what is truly worthy and good and valuable in life. When our hearts value earthly treasures, when our eyes focus on junk or even evil things, when we serve wealth and when we're distracted by the cares of this world, we miss out on what is more vital for living than even food or clothing. Those who seek the kingdom and its righteousness aren't anxious about what is secondary. They don't have to be. They know their father cares for them, and they know that all the stuff everyone else is fearing that they'll go without, it doesn't matter much in God's economy. And I think that's where the caveat is for us in middle-class America. God may not provide all the things you want because he knows you're better off without them. But we tell ourselves that we need certain things to live. And I'm not saying vacations and eating out and living in a home you love are bad things. I enjoy those things. Um, but I think we've bought into the lie that we need those things to live. And so we start with that as our baseline need instead of seeking a deepening relationship with God above everything else. So let's pause. Let's take a second. You can stay sitting in your chair. You don't have to go find your partner. Um, what are you seeking after that isn't God's kingdom? Jesus knows we need to seek the kind of life he describes in the Sermon on the Mount. Or we'll get stuck focusing on accumulating wealth or power and never taking risks. We start to think the illusion of safety that we create for ourselves is God's best for us. We think we're supposed to be comfortable above all else. It's a scary kind of life, but life with Jesus is what we're actually made for. So finally, let's talk about that last reason he gives. So Jesus is inviting us to stop spending so much time and energy planning for possible events here. And given the whole of this passage, I think any time and energy we do use thinking about the future could be transformed by a faith-filled perspective instead of a fear-filled one. We worry about what-ifs and imagine potential disasters or just live with this vague sense that something could go wrong soon. This worrying gives us a small sense of control. We're aware things could go wrong, so we're on the lookout. But deep down, we know that sense of control is an illusion. Looking out for trouble doesn't actually keep trouble away. So we keep worrying. 
We need to know God's in control of the future, and no amount of worrying or even productive responses to fear and anxiety will change that we aren't in control. Being responsible for how the future will turn out is a burden that no human can bear. We take on what isn't our responsibility, the future. And we often do that by running after stuff to make us feel secure against any potential misfortune, neglecting the one thing we truly need to live, a trusting, growing relationship with God, seeking to live under God's rule. That brings me to this conclusion. Worry is sinful. The Bible uses a few different metaphors to help us understand sin. Sin is missing the target we're aiming for. Sin is disease. Sin is a debt we owe. Sin is a slave master. Sin is, it leads us to live in ways that God didn't design us for, which hurts us and others. Worry leads to irritability, exhaustion, displaced aggression, making decisions out of fear we later regret, not making decisions because we're paralyzed by fear, binging on food or distractions like Netflix or games on our phone, ignoring the Holy Spirit's guidance. All that spills over into the lives of the people around us. And sin dishonors God. When we worry, we treat him as if he doesn't exist or like he's not good and loving. Worry is a rejection of God's character, and it damages our capacity for the life he calls us to. In the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the Gospels, Jesus invites his followers to live differently. Jesus sent his disciples into risky faith-building work. He eventually revealed to them that he would die on a cross because he's so powerful and caring that he took our sins and died in our place and beat death so our relationship with God can be restored. Without that restored relationship, it kind of makes sense to worry. All the ways you've offended God and hurt others and yourself, you're still responsible for that. Every time you face the unknown, you're in that alone. We need to surrender to someone with capabilities and perspectives far beyond our own. With that restored relationship, we aren't trapped in worry and we get to look forward to an eternity with God forever in heaven with no worries. <laughs> While we're still here on earth, <laughs> we're challenged to be set apart by our refusal to buy into the illusions of control um, and possession. We don't have to engage in the practices of worry so prevalent in the world around us. We have freedom. We must let go of the mistaken belief that life can and should be perfectly safe that our powers extend farther than what God has granted to us, that we possess and must preserve that which actually belongs to God, and that the future, where all our greatest hopes and worries lie, is a promise we can claim for ourselves. We need to know that our chief purpose in this life is not to avoid danger and accumulate treasures. When you're peaceful, you make better decisions and treat people better. When you're not under the illusion of control, you aren't surprised when things go poorly. When you trust God and know your chief purpose in life is to love him and others, you can give your treasures away. You can take the risks he calls you to. People notice when you're not anxious, but they think you should be given your circumstances. 
And when they ask why, you have an opening to tell them about how God is powerful and caring. Repenting of worry and choosing to follow Jesus isn't just about you enjoying your life more or you having better character even. It's a glimpse of God's kingdom on earth. So I want to make this very practical for us. I work with college students. I kind of have to be thinking about how to um, make things super practical for them. They don't like sitting in another lecture. Um, So we're going to use the bodies that God gave us to slow down. So what I want you guys to try and do is to release the tension in your shoulders, kind of shake things out. Um, Sit up straight. Uncross your legs. So you don't have to sit away from the chair, but like actually like sit up, yeah? Um, And then I want to invite us to take some deep breaths. Ooh, that was exciting. Got you back up and tense again, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So let's identify what worry feels like so we can actually recognize it. So for me, I experience different kinds of feelings when I'm feeling anxious. Um, There's this gnawing that can like creep up into my shoulders. Um, There's this deep foreboding that forms a knot in the pit of my stomach. Sometimes I have antsy, energetic anxiety that makes me want to get up and run or dance or punch something. (laughs) Maybe you get a dry mouth or sweaty palms. Maybe it feels like your thoughts are whirling around constantly. So I want you guys to get back with your partner and share what does worry feel like for you. So stay sitting with your partner because we're going to keep talking with them a little bit. But right now, I just want you to think for yourself, um, to think ahead. When is the next time you're likely to be worried? Um, So (laughs) look at your calendar on your phone if you need to. But what's coming up, maybe even tonight, that will tempt you to worry? Just take a second and think about that. Yeah, so we are going to share here in a second. I just wanted to give us a second to to think through. I'm an introvert. I usually need more time to process than, than that. Yeah, so since we're not meeting in calm groups this summer, I'm making space for us to confess to one another. So if you feel uncomfortable with it, that's okay. And if you have nothing to confess, that's great. <laughs> um, but for those of us who do, I want to invite you to, um, to share what you thought of, um, what you're likely to worry about. How realistic is it? Is there a fear underneath it? One of the reasons um, I worry so much about what people think of me is I'm afraid of rejection. And the big reason I'm afraid of rejection is that deep down I'm afraid who I am is worth rejecting. It took me a while to figure out the the fear beneath that. Um, There's freedom in admitting we keep trying to live life apart from God, and I want that for us. So let's take um, some time and confess to one another. God is aware of the reasons we believe we should worry, but he tells us to use our energy on exercising faith in him and seeking life with him. Worry is a cheap substitute for productive action. Instead of doing something about whatever it is, we choose to keep worrying about it. So let's repent of worry. 
Repent's just, right, this Christian word for realizing that you've been headed in the wrong direction and making an about face. But the thing is that when we turn around, it's not to will ourselves into worrying less. Um, When we turn away from sin, we're turning towards Jesus. So Jesus gives us three ways in the sermon to not worry. As, As you repent, you could remember a story from your life or the Bible where God came through. You can ask God for what you need, anything from food to faith, he loves to give it. Or ask him to change what you're seeking in the first place. Or you could ask God to loosen your desperation for control over something that was never your responsibility to begin with. So take a minute, figure out together with your partner how you could respond when that worry comes up again that you were just talking about. Um, And then I want to invite us to pray, but... Um, pause for a second. Recognize that God is already in charge of what you're worrying about, that he already cares, and that he's powerful enough to do something about it. So I'll wrap up our time in five-ish minutes. Um, yeah, repent. Think through whether you should rem- how you respond could be remembering, seeking that life, or giving up your control, and then pray for one another. Thanks. I know some of y'all haven't gotten to pray yet, but I'm going to bring us back together. I'm going to be leading us in a prayer exercise here in just a second. Um, And I'd encourage you, (laughs) pray for one another if you didn't get a chance and would like to um, afterwards. I just want to respect our time and, you know, not go way over. Um, (laughs) But I, I wanted to read, I love the message version of our passage, so here it is. If you decide for God living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now, and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. 
Um, the last thing I wanted to do was a prayer exercise, especially since I know not everyone got to pray. And so I want to invite you to ball up your fists and imagine everything you worry about, everything you grasp for, stuffed in your hands. And when you're ready, release the burdens that aren't yours to carry. Thank you, God, that you are responsible for our care and for the future. I invite you to flip your hands over and um, receive, be ready to be filled up. I bless you with peace that surpasses our understanding, peace that springs from the knowledge that God cares for you and is powerful. I bless you with faith, deep abiding trust in God's love and power. I bless you with a joyful pursuit of God's kingdom and God's righteousness. May you discover more and more what it is to live with him in the radical, challenging way he's made you to live. Be blessed. Amen. Thanks.